0: Welcome to the Everyday Innovator Podcast for Product Managers, Leaders, and Innovators. Your host is Chad McAllister, helping you become a product master. Listen and get ready for higher performance, for the doctor is in.
1: Hi, this is Chad, and this is where product leaders and managers become product masters, gaining practical knowledge, influence, and confidence so you'll create products that customers love. This podcast is getting a new name after six years now to better align with this purpose of helping product managers become product masters. That new name is Product Masters Now. You don't need to do anything different to keep listening, but I want you to know that the name is coming, and in a few weeks, it will show up differently in your podcast player, not as the Everyday Innovator, but as Product Masters Now. Now about this episode... We're continuing in the series on a product management body of knowledge curated by the Product Development and Management Association, PDMA. If you're not familiar with them, they are the longest-running volunteer-led organization for product managers, for us, product managers and leaders. Existing all the way back since 1976, I've been publishing this series every other week, starting with episode 307, which was an introduction to the body of knowledge. Today, we cover topics related to culture, teams, and leadership, which are essential to forming and maintaining an innovative environment that enables, encourages, and rewards product management and innovation processes and practices. Our guest is Dr. Teresa Juergens-Cole founder of Global NP Solutions, which helps individuals and organizations learn, adopt, transform, and sustain innovation. Previously, she worked in R&D, process technology development, and as an internal innovation expert at ExxonMobil Chemical Company. I've known Teresa for several years through our association with PDMA, and I think you'll enjoy really hearing her insights. And remember, if you hear any insights you want to go back to or you want an easy way of sharing them with others, we take detailed notes for you. You'll find those notes at theeverydayinnovator.com slash 317, along with a one-page action guide to help you put the ideas into practice now and start taking action. Now, let's talk with Teresa. Teresa, thank you so much for joining the Everyday Innovator podcast.
0: Oh, Chad, it's, it's an honor, and I love your work, and I am, I'm very honored to present with you. And I, You have tremendous guests, and so I'm, I'm really privileged to be amongst those.
1: Well, you do some very amazing things for companies. We've known each other for a few years because of PDMA. And you and I have had an opportunity to do some work together, too. and That has been good fun. And you took time to help out with this new body of knowledge update with from PDMA. I know we were both very involved with the first edition that came out, and then you helped out with the second edition, both with some editing tasks and contributing a chapter. And that chapter is Culture, Teams, and Leadership. And I I love the things that are in that chapter. We'll we'll dive into that in just a moment. But just kind of at the high level, give us a sense of how you see culture, teams, and leadership related to product innovation.
0: Yeah, it is, I think, the key. Over the years, I have worked with a lot of different companies and clients and individuals. And what happens is that everybody's really good at putting systems and processes and templates and checklists into place. But what really makes the difference for success is teams and leadership, because you need the people to do the work. You need collaboration. You need expertise. You need autonomy of the teams and you need trust among teams and effective leadership that bridges the gap between strategy and execution.
1: Yeah, all all really important points. And sometimes those things are referred to as the soft skills of of our work. And I always think of them instead of as as a hard skills, because they're the things that actually make the big difference. And I think they're harder for a lot of people to, to get comfortable with, right, to help us make a difference.
0: Yeah, I think that's true. And I like the term critical skills over Ooh. soft skills. Critical mm-hmm. skills is what we're looking
1: for. I like that. So, uh, I usually just switch it and say hard skills and talk about why I say that. But uh, critical skills is very good. The culture aspect is important there. There's, I think, was it Peter Drucker wrote the first article, you know, that culture eats strategy for breakfast. And there's been others that picked up on that. I really do regard culture as the secret sauce of organizations and as groups. And that's... Uh, big topic in this chapter. So, let's kind of just start there with how you see culture impacting an organization or maybe a product team.
0: Yeah, so culture is kind of it's it's unwritten. You can't go look it up in a book, but hmm. you feel it when you enter an organization. You know when there's an innovative culture, you know when there's a bureaucratic hindering culture. So, culture teaches us how we do things within an organization it's how people behave it's how they accomplish the mission it's tied up with values which brings us back to strategy with mission vision and values but culture really allows a company to uh, understand their risk tolerance or risk aversity as well as understanding how much trust they put in their teams, how much interaction there is with customers, which is critically important to successful product development, and understanding how we work together, what's the pace of work, and how do we bring an idea to commercialization when there is risk involved. Mm -hmm. And there's financial risk, there's reputation risk, there's all kinds of things that can derail a project team, but culture You're right. Secret sauce is a good term. It's the key to unlocking success.
1: Yeah, because one can duplicate a strategy, right? If you see a competitor doing something, you try to figure that out. But it may not work for you because the culture is very different. Yes. And that's why, you know, there are best practices in the sense, you know, PDMA does the study every few years, which I greatly appreciate on what the best performing organizations are doing in the way of product innovation. And we gain a lot of information from that. But we always have to put that through a culture lens because what is a best practice for one organization may not necessarily integrate well with what you're doing. And the things that stood out in, in what you said there was, you know, culture is, is how people behave, right? It's kind of the unwritten rules for what is expected. And then when it comes to product innovation, risk is such an important element of that. And and it's a big difference if an organization is tends to be more risk adverse and they put barriers in place to try new ideas or one that kind of takes the approach of yeah, let's do lots of experiments and we'll break stuff and we'll see what works. Mhm. Okay. I want to take a moment to tell you about part of my journey in product management, which started as a technology project manager. I got involved with the Project Management Institute and earned the PMP certification. This required me to learn a lot about the project management body of knowledge. and That helped the work that I was doing, but I was still missing some pieces that I really needed to succeed. I looked for providers of product management knowledge, that was product management knowledge, and I found several of them. But I embraced PDMA, the Product Development and Management Association, because they were similar in structure to my previous experiences learning about project management. They were and still are a professional association dedicated to evolving the practice of product management and equipping us product managers and product leaders. Their body of knowledge that we're exploring with Teresa and in the past few episodes is a comprehensive framework for understanding the full breadth of product management and innovation. Mastering it helped me so much that I created a system for helping organizations do the same. It is called the Rapid Product Mastery Experience, or simply the RPM Experience. It takes place as a nine-week journey, meeting virtually for 75 minutes a week. I take groups of product managers and leaders in organizations on this journey, Building a common understanding of product management knowledge, a great foundation, improving collaboration, and renewing or building a customer focus. I've seen such amazing transformations in individual participants and entire teams, how they have significantly improved their performance. In a lessons learned session with a recent group, every participant said they would recommend the RPM experience to their colleagues which is why we did another group for them. Participants recommend it because the experience not only helps them create better value for customers, it helps them accelerate their careers too. This might be right for your organization as well. To learn about the RPM experience, simply go to theeverydayinnovator.com slash RPM. You'll see more information and have an easy way to schedule time for us to talk. Now, let's get back to talking about Teams with Teresa. Can you just relate culture to vision a little bit to how you see what an organization wants to be, their vision, and how that relates to culture too?
0: Sure. Yeah, that's an interesting question because people often miss that connection of culture to strategy. So, I think of strategy and the body of knowledge defines strategy as vision, mission, and values. And I think starting with vision, that's who we picture in our heads as who we are as an organization. Where do we want to be in 10 years? It's a very long-term picture. How do we want to interact with our communities, with our employees, with the environment, with the people? What do we, who do do we want to be known for? What are we? And then the mission is really how do you accomplish that? And then values are the driving behaviors. So Hmm. vision tells us where we want to go. And the culture, I think, is actually more tied maybe to values than vision in Hmm. saying that here's our behaviors, here's our guardrails. These are absolute constraints that if you cross this, this is a cardinal rule in our behavior. Things like safety, health, and environment. I, I come from the petrochemical industry and there are cardinal safety rules. If you violate this, you are out the door. And I think those behaviors are the culture elements that allow an organization to attack risk with a their reasonable approach to risk for an, from an innovation perspective and allow them to then implement the steps necessary to do their mission, to accomplish the goals that they have, which will allow them then to meet the vision of who they uh, envision themselves, that bold, courageous, this is who I will be in 10 years.
1: Yeah, that's really good. I I was curious about that because what what flashed through my brain was a a conversation many episodes ago with innovation director at Chick-fil-A. And he was sharing, you know, as part of their vision, you know, they they have a very strong value-based culture. But as part of their vision, they did want to be more innovative. And they've created a large innovation lab uh, complex where they do a lot of experimentation. But they were finding that people were really reluctant to try something new because they were afraid they might fail. And the way they combated that was they started having town halls with their executives and their executives sharing all the mistakes that they have made in the past, right? You know, in leadership positions where they they made the wrong decision and they failed in a sense. And that started freeing up the culture a little bit to help them to move towards their vision of wanting to be more innovative.
0: Yeah, and what you said reminds me of Coca-Cola. So, yeah. every year, Coca-Cola celebrates the failure of New Coke in order to encourage more innovation. Yeah, New Coke was... In I the wasn't 90- aware
1: was that they celebrate terrible,
0: that. Yeah, it was a terrible failure. They missed the market, and, and they didn't understand how much loyalty people had to the brand of Coca-Cola. Right. And even though it passed all these blind taste tests, the name meant more to loyal customers than necessarily New Coke. So, Coca-Cola celebrates every year on the anniversary of It wasn't very long between New Coke launching and having it pulled off the shelves. So I don't know which date they exactly celebrate, because that was a pretty short time period. But they celebrate the failure of New Coke to encourage their teams to continue to take risks and innovate.
1: Yeah. Everyday innovators, if you're not familiar with the New Coke uh, story, go look it up. It's really interesting. The thing that fascinates me about this is so many huge failures in that. And yet it served its purpose, which was they were starting to lose market share to Pepsi. And that has not happened since the, the whole new Coke fiasco, put them back in at the top and growing in market share. Okay. So we talked about culture. Some next big topic there is about teams and how teams fit into innovation. And I know in the chapter, there's different team structures that are addressed, which is how do you see teams? If you want to talk about structures or characteristics, just the importance of teams related to our innovation projects.
0: Yeah. You, there's no lone genius sitting out in his garage, creating spectacular innovations. And there's no engineering department or chemistry department or physics department or marketing department that can do it on their own either. We need cross-functional teams. I think that's very key that start together, work together, and launch that product together throughout the life of a new product development effort. Mm -hmm. And that cross-functional team can take many different forms. So from a structural standpoint, for years and years, PDMA has talked about, you know, if you have a a depth of innovation that you need to do, you use a functional work group. If you have just kind of a minor tweak, a next generation, changing the packaging, you might use a lightweight team. If you have a more, a larger innovation scale of new technology, maybe a new market, then you might want to use a heavyweight team. And then if it's something brand, brand new, uh, you'll go ahead and form an autonomous team put those folks aside from the the regular organizational structure, building off what Clayton Christensen says about the innovator's dilemma to allow those people to be divided from the bureaucratic structure of companies, kind of what you were just talking about with Chick-fil-A and allow them to have autonomy. So I think some of the important elements of a successful team for innovation include trust, autonomy, autonomy, ability to learn from your mistakes, to not be punished for that. And that goes back to what we were talking about with culture, mm-hmm. because organizations have to recognize that in innovation, we do have mistakes, we have to learn. And the only way to learn is to take some risks. And so learning from failure is a really key element for leadership to trust their teams. Mm-hmm. And then the teams are often closest to the customers and end users. So allowing them to have the autonomy to work with their customers and end users, and then learn from those mistakes in an educated way, taking calculated risks will improve customer satisfaction and increase speed to market.
1: Yeah. We think about this in terms of experiments that we can do, low-cost, frequent experiments, and we're doing that in the spirit of learning. Um, The thing that amazes me about how people think about innovation some of the time Innovation, the phrase in a new way is is kind of synonymous with innovation, right? We're doing something new that we haven't done before, and yet there's this attitude that we'll do it perfect, right? And I don't know any of us that have ever done anything new that have done it perfectly the first time. And we stumble along the way, and we figure things out, and we learn, Uh, like those elements that you shared about a team, the different structures. I think that's useful for people that maybe haven't had the the business experience so to think about just different team structures and when and why we might use them. And the autonomous team. Both of us have gone to some of the the PDMA annual conferences each year, and I don't remember which one this was now, but I remember one of the speakers was talking about the Wrigley's uh, five gum. Right the the when five gum first came out it was a very different package design for gum and it's just the number five is the brand of this gum right and he was sharing how that was an autonomous project because Wrigley was seeing uh, the end of the company coming the gum market had changed and sales were declining greatly and they thought the only way we're going to get out of this is by very different thinking so they put everyone in a different facility they made them autonomous with the company. And they let them think in a different way. And and there's times, as it was for them, when that autonomous project becomes really important. Have you ever been part of an autonomous project like that on on any work?
0: Yes. So some of my uh, clients are starting, what you talked about with Chick-fil-A, starting innovation labs. Hmm. Um, And there's one company that I've been working with a little bit that they have a, a clever name for their idea lab. But they've brought together... All those cross-functional folks, the marketing folks, finance folks, and, and engineers and scientists from around the world, they have, their corporate structure had companies, individual companies all over the world, but they're forming a separate joint venture to handle the, the challenges that are coming to their industry. Their industry is changing, interestingly, from large corporate structures to a lot of smaller individual participants. And so to address those challenges, they've created uh, what they call the greenhouse to attack those specific innovation problems. And they're coming up with some really neat things. Part of it is the cross-functional work. Part of it is really engaging in trust among those various different parties. Usually Mm -hmm. R&D folks and finance are butting heads. But when you bring them together and say, here's your challenge, I'm giving you autonomy to address this sounds, and I trust you as a team because you have the most knowledge to solve this problem then they're coming up with some really cool things.
1: Yeah, that, that's really interesting and I think I know who that organization is so we'll have to talk more later because I know about the Greenhouse Project. But yeah, changes in, the, in their marketplace and almost every company is seeing changes in their competitive space in their marketplace yeah. and having to get their hands around what to do about that. And the team structure makes a difference. It changes not only what you can do, but how fast you can do it. So it's important to think through. Okay, we talked about the, the need for this cross-functional team, people working together that that make innovation happen. And we need those different functions. And that also, as you talk about characteristics of the team, right, and, and what makes a good team work, starting with, with trust in there, how individuals approach the work and approach each other are opportunities for friction to be created as well as opportunities for synergies, right? And so our work styles make a big difference. And I know this is a topic that gets addressed. Talk a little bit about how work styles impact teammates team performance.
0: Yeah, so the PDMA body of knowledge talks about the Z model. And I had a client um, that recently had a a massive change in the way they worked. I'm presenting that case study actually at the Association of Change Management Professionals in September. And so what they had is they're a software company, and so they mostly were using sort of a scrum type of process to develop. And when we went through the work style assessment, using the Z model that's discussed in the PDMA body of knowledge, where individuals have a preference for work as a creator, an advancer, a refiner, or an executor, Um, And those different work styles are not your personality. It's just how you prefer to work. And that's what I like about that model is it's not saying I have this personality because we can be different people at work Mm -hmm. and we can overcome some of those barriers, but there are preferences of types of work that we like to do. So a creator likes to come up with lots and lots of ideas. An advancer is really good at communicating those ideas, interacting with customers, getting feedback. The refiner is really good at making plans, laying out schedules, budgets, here's a good plan to execute that work. And then the executors, the the, the the person that wants to get their hands dirty and just jump in and do the work. So this particular team had a gap in advancers. And so we walked through their workflow and said, you know, where are you getting the customer communication as advancers? And it turned out that they Moreover, had folks that were really good at being creators and really good at being refiners, but their roles were not capitalizing on their strengths. So we reworked the workflow and asked, how are you going to get information from customers? And we came up with some ways. They do a lot of trade shows. They do a lot of customer focus groups with their existing customers. And they talk to their individual customers on a very regular basis and said, you know, we think we're okay with that, but we just need to find a little bit more system to collect that information. Um, But we realigned the folks that are good at creating to the initial stages of a project. We realigned the folks that are good at refining. Instead of having them going out and talking to customers and being forced to be at the idea stage, they were able to then do the planning work. And the executors, instead of doing things that made them uncomfortable like talking to customers which is good for them but they put most of their work energy into doing the work of the project it was a wonderful case study and the really interesting thing was was that as feedback after the session some of the guys said and and i use i'm from the northwest so guys means girls men whatever <laughs> yep. uh, so some of the folks said you know we we not only found this effective for our work But when I went home and communicated with my spouse, I found out that my spouse is really such and such style. And I learned new communication methods. Hmm. Communication is what really makes an innovation team successful. And we talked about culture that has to do with communication. We talked about leadership that has to do with communication. And this particular model helps people with, with communication as much as aligning the workflow to your preferred work
1: style. I love that. And the, this notion that really was emphasized for me with the Finder tool and uh, the book that some people know No Finder, that, that we should play to our strengths, right? And it seems like in, in Western society, there, there's an emphasis, especially with the performance review in organizations, to how can you improve your weaknesses as opposed to how can you make better use of your strengths? And getting that alignment through the Z model and, and those four elements that you talked through helps people play to their strengths and be a better part of the team overall. And that helps team performance and things work faster and better, less friction. I was curious, as you talked about those and you found that there were people missing, was there an assessment that you used to help identify people's kind of work styles uh, along with this?
0: Yeah, so there are a couple of assessments I use, and I actually like them better. Than, I, I like StrengthsFinder, too, because of it, it, it does ask you to focus on your strengths Mm -hmm. but there's like 34 elements i'm just not that sophisticated i can't remember five i got five here one two three four five that's the best i can do there you go So the team dimensions model that we talk about with pdma has four elements the creator advancer refiner and executor and there is a really short assessment it takes like five or ten minutes a more sophisticated assessment that I use regularly in my business is called the DISC assessment, D-I-S-C. Mm-hmm. And that DISC assessment talks about similar work styles, dominant, influential, uh, steadiness, and conscientious. And those have to do with not only how you think as an innovator and creator, but also how fast your piece of work, your preferred piece of work is. And whether you rely upon data or you rely upon people to make decisions and move forward. And I would love to offer your listeners one per company, a free disk assessment if they want to email me. Um, I would be really happy to offer that along with one hour of coaching that goes with that.
1: Well, let's reiterate that at the end to make sure that we don't miss this. Hour of coaching and a free disk assessment. So, thank you so much for making that available to listeners. And the constraint that yes, you know, one per company is, is good. And that would be a good help, though, to listeners and organizations. Okay. So, we, we talked through the aspects here of, of work style, some for teammates. The other aspect that's covered in the book and that chapter that is the end of the title, two to that chapter, is leadership, right, and how leadership impacts product teams. Take us through some of the effective, positive characteristics that we need from the team leader to help us with innovation projects.
0: Yeah, so what we talk about in the chapter are emotional intelligence elements for a leader. Hmm. Things like disk assessment help leaders to understand those different work styles of their team members. It gives them lots of insight on how to build that team. But the disk, excuse me, the emotional intelligence also is really key to a leader to have self-awareness, which comes from something like a DISC assessment or a team dimensions profile. They need to have self-regulation, which talks a little bit about, you know, we're not just going to blow up emotionally and be reactive, but we want to be proactive as a leader and especially around those surprises that do happen in innovation. They're not always good surprises, but sometimes there's there's the, the positive uncertainties that we need to address as well. And then understanding motivation, self-motivation, as well as how to motivate the team. And then emotional intelligence also talks about having empathy, which is so important for innovation, because if we don't have empathy for our customers and we don't understand where they're coming from and what their pain points are, we're never going to be able to address a product or service to meet their needs. So empathy is really an important element of emotional intelligence. And then the social
1: skills... (laughs) Can I just jump in on that? And this might be exactly where you're going. Earlier in my career, I just, just the way I'm wired, right? My, my work styles and wiring. I had huge empathy for the customer. Like th- This is our purpose. We're trying to understand the customer's problem and solve that problem better for them, great value for them. And clearly everyone, all of us on the team must be concerned about that, right? And I think my empathy for my teammates made that assumption that we all cared deeply about that like I did. And consequently, I didn't always show empathy to my teammates, because they might have had some other priorities at any given time. And, and I, I probably harmed some relationships that I otherwise wish I did not. Does that make sense?
0: Yeah, it does. And absolutely. And that's why I think going back to your previous question about assessments, that's why that's so important, because mm-hmm. that conversation that our teams have, I work this way, I, I care about data and facts, and I'm going to move quickly. And another person cares only about the empathy for the, or primary cares about the empathy for the customer. And they're not even thinking about data or facts. And they want to really digest all that information before making a decision. And as a leader, if you can bring together that conversation among your team members so that they understand how one another works. And this was the amazing part of the case study I talked about earlier. So they understand how other people work, what their priorities are, what their strengths are, then we're going to work better together. Mm -hmm. And that is a leader's role to understand those things. It's a leader's role to understand conflict and how to address that conflict. It's a leader's role to understand, you know, that yes, we have to have empathy for the customers. And when one person is driven by that people orientation and another person is driven by data and facts, we've got to, as leaders, make sure that they do talk about that see each other's viewpoints in a common controlled manner
1: So leadership characteristics the, the focus there was on that emotional intelligence aspect and I know from uh, leadership research emotional intelligence leaders who are good with emotional intelligence that can double their perceived effectiveness with with their followers mm-hmm. right and actually the results that the team produces so no small thing there that emotional intelligence is certainly important are there other characteristics that you just see important to maybe the leader involves? or the leader can stimulate with the, the team or the leader should have, have themselves. We talked so earlier about trust, you know, and accountability. Other characteristics that come into this?
0: I think probably, I don't know what your mom taught you, but my mom taught me that whoever I'm hanging around with is how I'll behave and how I'll be perceived. So I think leaders that lead by demonstration of skills is also very valuable. You cannot be a leader in product development sitting behind your desk. You need to understand what your customers need. Home Depot is a great example of that. All of the executives from Home Depot go once for a one-week period per year or two weeks per year to work the floor of Home Depot, to sell drills, to sell paint, to sell you know pots and, and planters in the gardening department. They understand what not only what the challenges of their customers are when they come to an employee with questions, but they also understand the employee or team member mm-hmm. challenges as well. It's a tremendous example. You've got to get in the field to understand what your customers need. And leading by example, you know, we all follow those leaders we admire, whether we do it consciously or, or subconsciously. And so leading by example, I think, is a, is a huge element. Behave how you want your, your team members to behave.
1: Yeah, that, that, that's excellent. The, I did an interview earlier with the director of innovation for Snap on Tools, Ben Britton, and great guy, PhD chemist, which I think is part of your background too, right? Are you chemical engineering?
0: Chemical engineer.
1: Yeah, yeah. So, but anyhow, he leads by being out in the field with customers four days a week. And that has changed a bit given COVID, but still lots of customer contact. And he's just not out in the field, he's dragging along with them product managers and developers, you know, product people. And that's how they do innovation is a lot of customer contact. And Mm -hmm. I I, I just love that. Absolutely love that story. So, and thanks for sharing the one about Home Depot too, right? The the executives being in the stores, getting some experience at times. So really good discussion. So much appreciate your contributions to the PDMA body of knowledge and putting together this information on culture and teams and leadership. As listeners know, I love an innovation quote. Tell us about the one that you brought and why you chose it.
0: So, my life quote is really my innovation quote as well. It is rigor, zeal, and faith. Hmm. And so, it applies to to my life. I think about every day, how am I going to have rigor, zeal, and faith in, in what I'm doing today? But it applies to innovation from a standpoint of rigor. There is a lot of creativity involved in innovation, but you can't just use a scattergun effect. You do need to have some guardrails in place and a process in place. Sometimes we let our processes drive innovation, but we do need to have some rigor and and not let it be too bureaucratic. So some rigor, always thinking about the process and our customers, how do we make decisions? So that's the rigor. You have to have zeal, which I consider enthusiasm and charisma to our customers, understand what drives their back to the empathy, what drives their emotions and being excited about what we're doing as innovators and product innovators and leaders, we are making a difference in people's lives. And that is exciting. That drives zeal towards solving a product uh, problem. And then faith, faith teaches us that when we talked about earlier learning from mistakes, we have faith that if we learn from those little micro experiments, that we will continue to grow and satisfy our customers' needs over the long term.
1: Excellent. So, and that is your life quote, right? So, the yeah. your, your rigor, zeal, and faith, key elements of how you think about your life as well, and not just innovation. So, appreciate you sharing that insight with us. I want to know more about just the work that you're doing, if you can share that. And I see in your background there, oh, hold on just a second here, for... Trace and I are on video with with each other, so this feels more like a discussion if you happen to be seeing the video someplace. We we both have the same book available, and you have this in your background too. Uh, This is the Innovation Answer book that that you wrote last year. Why don't you you just tell us about that and along with it, other work that you're doing and how people can find out about that?
0: Yeah, so the Innovation Answer book is supposed to be an accessible kind of gateway entry point to innovation. So, it's a kind of a short digest of everything that is in the PDMA body of knowledge, but presented in a question and answer format. So you can use it with your innovation teams. If you need to hone in on certain skills and build those skills and it's tied, it starts with learning about innovation, adopting innovation practices, transforming your organization to being um, a world-class organization. And then when you're there, how do you sustain that high level of innovation? And your listeners can go to one of my websites and take the innovation health assessment, which helps you to understand which one of those stages you're in. So you would know which chapters to read in the book and where to go forward from that point. So, and I guess we'll share that link in your... Yeah, go ahead and tell us what it
1: is, but I'll make sure all the links to all the resources are in the show notes.
0: So it's at www.simple-pdh.com slash courses slash innovation dash health dash assessment slash like you ask people to register so that i can keep um integrity of the database yeah it's a free registration
1: yeah and i'm sure that that link is available in the show notes to make that much easier for people to find well and i'll put a link in there to the innovation answer book
0: yeah and i also have a companion book coming out this year to the Hmm. innovation answer book which is the innovation question book and so Since, Chad, you and I have been involved with PDMA and the New Product Development Professional Certification for years, this is a book that is geared to helping people pass that New Product Development Mm -hmm. Certification based on questions from the second edition of the PDMA Body of Knowledge, which we've just been discussing. So I'm running a contest into October of 2020 for the new book cover for that. And so I'd love for you to come and vote on the new book cover as a companion book to the Innovation Answer Book, so we'll be publishing. I'll be publishing the Innovation Question Book later this year.
1: That's good to know about too, and that would be a good resource for anyone pursuing the MPDP exam. That's something that we both promote and have both found value in ourselves. And we need if you're going to take the exam, the practice questions are super helpful. So, what, what's the main URL where people can find out more about the resources that you have available?
0: www www.globalnpsolutions.com. And the NP, of course, stands for new products.
1: Globalnpsolutions.com. Once again, all the links will be in the show notes. And Teresa, thank you so much for joining us, talking about your contributions to the PDMA Body Knowledge and the other work that you're doing.
0: It's always fun to chat with you, Chad, and I am really honored to be a guest on your Innovate- Everyday Innovator podcast. It's a privilege.
1: Thanks again for listening to The Everyday Innovator. Remember, the name will be changing in a few weeks to Product Masters Now. It will still be the same purpose. This is where product leaders and managers make their move to Product Master. Learning practical knowledge that leads to more influence and confidence so you'll create products customers love. Find all the details of our discussion with Teresa, including the one-page action guide to help you take action now at theeverydayinnovator.com slash 317 keep innovating.
0: Thank you for listening to The Everyday Innovator, which teaches product managers to become product masters. For more resources, please visit TheEverydayInnovator.com.